Welcome back one more time for the Parenting Pathway podcast. This is Pastor Dave Carl, and I'm here with my ruggedly handsome friend, Nathan Kosurik. Hello, everybody. And Nathan oversees our student ministries here at Stonebriar Community Church in beautiful downtown Frisco, Texas. Today, we want to talk about the sometimes problematic, sometimes confusing concept of how to invite our kids into a relationship with Jesus. Depending upon our own background, we might have been invited in ourselves in ways that are less than ideal. We might have felt hunted down. We might have felt shame. I know a friend who told me he, he was shamed into going to church when he started out, less than optimal. But one of the things that we as parents deal with is how do we not force our kids to show up to church? That's, that's easy. How do we invite them to where they want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So, and what exactly does that mean? What, what does it look like? And how in the world do you inspire your kids to love God? Because that, that is the goal. It's easy, Dave. I think you just threaten them or maybe... Uh... Buy them donuts? <laughs> well, I think donuts are probably part of every good answer. Um, <laughs> I, I would suggest perhaps the worst way in the world to inspire our kids to love God is to believe Christianity is an addendum to our real life. Uh, something <clears throat> that we do on the side one day a week or a couple, you know, two hours a week even. The best way is to understand who God is and what he wants with us and for us. Otherwise, Christianity and Jesus can seem very much like like broccoli. Mm. Some, something that would be undeniably good for me, but, you know, truth be told, I, I would rather order onion rings, please. Do you have a quick answer to this question before we begin? Oh, sure, but I'm not going to share it. So <laughs> I, I'd like to start with this, the, the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus told this parable, and in his typical fashion, he used the absolute smallest number of words necessary to tell an amazing story. And this really captured my imagination some time back. And so I do what I do best is make something three times longer than it should be. So with your permission, Nathan, granted, I would like to dive into the, uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. So in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. This is Jesus at his best. This is this is just fantastic storytelling. Yeah, just uh, he just drops this thing right there and moves on. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, as a story guy, I'm I want to know what it smells like there. I want to know how much money did he have to get? You know, I've got all these questions and I think in cartoons. So what I, what I see when I read these, these two verses or one verse, somebody's while he's cutting across somebody else's field, trying to get somewhere. There's a for sale sign that he just passed by and he's just walking along and he catches the toe of his sandal on something. And he looks down and there's a bit of wood and a bit of, perhaps polished brass. I don't know. He, it's interesting. So he bends over and he's got some time. He's not in a total rush. And he starts brushing dirt away. And lo and behold, there's this little 
chest. Now, because this is in my head, I see a little kind of a Jack Sparrow treasure chest, the pirate. Yeah, like a, a pirate chest. Exactly. Yeah. And and so and the lock is broken or missing or whatever. So he just flips the lid open and light comes out of it, it <laughs> illuminating his face. And the camera comes over his shoulder and we see gold and doubloons and jewels and pearls and and his mouth drops open and he just is mesmerized by this incredible treasure. Yeah, I can hear the the sound of choirs singing in the background. Yes. And then he comes to his senses and he looks around to make sure nobody sees. And he closes the lid and he pushes it back into the hole and covers it back up. Now, this is where the, the parable, the metaphor kind of breaks down. Because like, seems like the good guy thing to do would be to share this with the owner of the land. or <laughs> That would seem like a Christian thing to do. But it's a parable, Nathan. Well, it's a very human description. <laughs> so, so he covers it back up and he runs back to town. All he's thinking is, I have to sell everything I own to buy this land. Right. Because the treasure, you know, I'm going to say whatever, just sell everything he had in today's money. You know, it'd be, it'd be I don't know, $400,000. He'd sell his house. He'd sell his cars. And, you know, it's just... And his poor wife, I think about his wife, like, you're going to do what? Maybe yeah, should... I, I was hoping he didn't have a wife because this would make the story really impossible. It's, a long, it's getting a longer and longer story because, yeah, he's got to. <laughs> but the, the economics here are whatever he's worth, I'm just going to say is like $400,000. This treasure is not $800,000 in value. It's not a million dollars. It's a kabillion, which is way more than a million. Oh, a ridiculous amount of money. It's beyond calculation. And it does, he's not worrying about selling everything. Because if he wanted to, he could come back next week and buy it again. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that is not going to go toward the, the of coming to possess this land and this, this treasure chest. Yeah, to him, it's a no-brainer. So... I do the fun color commentary. You got to tell us what this means. Well, clearly the parable is about the king of heaven and king. its enormous value, uh, insurmountable, unsurpassed value. There is nothing that even comes close to the value of the kingdom of heaven. It's worth everything you own. So mostly I don't see any Christians responding in that way, including myself. Yeah, the, the key word here is excitement. And I don't know about you, Dave, but some days on Sunday morning, I do not awake with the kind of excitement described in this parable. <laughs> It just, it just seems like, and I don't know, culturally, whatever we've done, we've, we Christians have somehow made this amazing treasure sound like broccoli. So I, I think the brochure that we have been using to describe, even to ourselves, what Christianity is, we need to reevaluate this. Christianity sounds like, to most people, I'm going to have to give up all the fun stuff in my life and start doing a bunch of stuff I don't like and do boring stuff and be with people I don't want to be with just to get into heaven. 
And I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So I'll put it off. And it's, it's, it doesn't seem that valuable. Right. On the other hand, what would you say that if you follow Jesus, you're going to get wildly rich? Well, we, we can't say that. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So if this, if what Jesus said was true, and I would suggest, since he's the smartest man that's ever lived and never, he, he knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. How is it that Christianity is something that we should be wildly excited about? Yeah. And you've mentioned the word instinctively wildly excited about. Yeah. The guy didn't even know how much exactly this was worth. It was just worth. Yeah. Without question. It was a no brainer. So how is Christianity worth more than anything else? And that I would be excited about. I, I, no, I have a quote here and honestly, I'm not sure where I, where I heard it from, but if you are not overwhelmed by Christianity, you don't understand. Oh yeah. Well, and I think that just proves the point. We don't understand. And so when, when I was uh, sitting here contemplating this parable, I started thinking about what is it exactly that is so instinctively good about enormous wealth? Why do you not have to explain to most people why it would be good to be wildly wealthy? Uh, and I, I suppose most people recognize the value of wealth you don't have to worry really about a lot of things that you typically worry about when you're just trying to make it through day to day, making the ends meet, doing whatever you have to do to get out there and earn money and maybe obey the instructions of a difficult boss or endure traffic or all the things to do to earn a living, if you could be wildly wealthy, you wouldn't have to do that anymore. And then you would have the freedom. So you're, you don't have worries on one hand. And on the other hand, you've got all this freedom. And those people who probably are enormously wealthy know the reality <laughs> that it's not all that we no. think it is. Yeah. But uh, on this end of things, most of us would not have to be convinced to accept uh, a vast treasure, right? Because we think we're going to be free of our worries and we're going to have freedom to go do the things that we want to do. So we have a picture that, that pops up pretty instantly of, of how this is valuable to me. Now, Christianity, it, it is, it is, and you know, it's a parable. It's, it, it's a thing that means something else. So the intrinsic value of Christianity is different than personal wealth. Mm. So that's important to know, but the value of it is stratospheric. So let's talk about some of the reasons why it is the most valuable thing in the world that if we were to actually understand, we wouldn't have to talk much more. It would just be so obvious that I'll give up anything for this. I, As I spend time with, with lots of guys, one of the things that pops into my mind and, and this comes up pretty often when I'm talking with, with guys. They ask about a purpose. If you don't have a purpose, how do you get one? And they're lost and they're doing rather well from a worldly perspective, but they're empty. Their soul is, their, their compass has no needle. It's a terrible condition to be in. To be an apprentice of Jesus 
to be becoming more and more like him. My purpose is two point, I, I think of in, in these terms, first of which every single believer on the planet, your purpose is to love God with everything you've got and to love others as yourself. And that's everybody. That's every believer. And then the second one, it's a little more tricky, is with what I have been given, gifts-wise, location, period of history that I'm living in, the people I'm living around or with, with all of the peculiarities of my life, how does God want me to do the first one? Like uniquely, how am I going to point to God and lead others to him? Mm-hmm. And enjoy God forever from the catechism, begin yeah. that. That's purpose. Yeah, to be able to do the thing that you were made to do. Gigantic. I mean, that would, when you're pursuing your purpose, the thing you, that you know that you were made for, there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Like my car is not quite, you know, as fancy as it could be, but I, I don't, who cares? It just gets me to where I need to go to start my, you know, if I'm a painter, it gets me to where I can start painting. Yeah, the, the thing, thing that I you really do, care about. Yeah. It, those things just help me do that, that purposeful thing. Mm-hmm. And Christianity is all about purpose and, and purpose that ripples into eternity. So I would suggest that one of those things that, that would make this so more valuable than anything is I can find my personal purpose and move toward it with the power of the Holy Spirit and participate in works that he's created before time began for me. And I get to participate in that. Yeah. And you don't have to be afraid that somehow you're going to fail and live in some kind of humiliating shame for being worthless in some way. I'm already, I'm already in, I mean, that that's exciting. Yeah. And I think if, if that's was more widely understood, I would be willing to give up my kind of stupid, selfish sins for this. Yeah, it's greater joy. Do you have another one that you can think of? Uh, yeah, I think knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt in some sense of very secure way that the God who spoke all things into existence uh, wants to be involved in my life personally and available to hear what I want to say to him at any time and be able to speak to me in a very meaningful, intimate, personal way. I think that's pretty fantastic. Well, I think that, and perhaps both of these and however many we talked about, I, I, I think they point to an innate, deep, longing of our souls Hmm. i want to not just be a a flower that is alive for one day and is dust the next day i want to have a purpose that matters i want to matter and i want to be in many well a few some relationships where i can be deeply known yeah and loved anyway it's a satisfying life and it's an eternal life. And the relationship with God part is not as complicated as relationships with other humans. Mm. 
he really, really, really is just crazy about his children. Right. And to the extent that I can receive that, that would be a place from which I could operate in the rest of the world. I, I, I agree. I think that that speaks to a deep, deep longing that, that God wants to fulfill. We're not, we don't have to cajole him or bargain. Um, I think another one, and I, I think of this kind of in terms of, of men, but I think it's everybody really. I, I think we all have a desire to be able to rescue and protect those that we care for. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to speak to people who are believing lies about yeah. lies they believe about God, lies they believe about themselves. We get to to point them to God and help them to hear the Holy Spirit whisper to them and help them understand Scripture. Because if you just go into the Bible by yourself, you can come out pretty crazy. <laughs> True. So you need help. And we get to we get to help people be rescued from lies and self-loathing and self-harming even. And yeah, and how great is it to see another person uh, suddenly become aware that God really does love them and there's hope uh, for, for them and <laughs> for their life. I, I think this is, these are some of, I mean, we could probably go on and on about these and, and we should, but we've got to, We've got a time frame we need to live within. So that's right. These are busy people, Dave. The concept of living in relationship with Jesus and the Trinity and certainly eternity in heaven. Of of course that. But it starts right now. We don't have to die to be, before we can benefit and enjoy yeah. and experience. Yes. So an action to take as a dad. I want yeah. to invite my kids into this. What's the what's the sneaky, hacky way that will only take me three minutes? Well, you know, Dave, you and I are, are guys who appreciate stories. And I think kids, they really appreciate stories. I, I think if we can uh, recognize where the, the tie points are between the stories that appeal to our kids and the big story, of God's grand eternal rescue plan, then one simple thing is to try to uh, point back to that, you know, the story of uh, the little engine that could, you know, that that ties back to the redemption story somehow, but also our own personal stories, you know, of, of how God has made a difference in our lives. I, I think that when we're going through life with our kids, they gravitate to stories on their own and we can be mindful of how those stories connect back to God's big story. Well, I, I think story is, well, I know it's the language of my heart and I, yeah. I think most people, and I think it's, it's incredibly powerful. I, I would encourage parents, dads, especially, I suppose, I don't know, especially, it's just, I kind of go after the dads just mentally more than, than the moms, but the best way to invite our kids to want to love God and be loved by God is if I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if I'm telling them to pursue something they've never seen before, that's really hard. That's true. And so 
I would, and this is going to seem a little squishy perhaps, but I think for us as believers and parents, I think it would be beneficial to everybody if we nurtured our own longing for God. Yeah. I want God some, but I could exercise that. I could feed that. I could do things that would make my soul expand and want him more and then experience him more. And that would make me want him more. And it's a cascading effect, but often I'm just trying to get the the lawn mode. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of things that have to get done. And I got to get, you know, the kids got to pick up the stuff because we can't walk safely across the living room without, you know, doing the Lego trap and landing on our head. But what to, to, to pursue my desire for God, and I want to desire him more than I have before. And perhaps we can talk about what that looks like in the, in the next episode. But I, I think our longings are shallow mm-hmm. and often, often for the wrong things. Yeah. And if we could move toward that, our kids would see us grapple and try uh-huh. things and fail and then succeed and then receive yeah. God's love. And then they would say, oh, like that. Huh. That's what you're talking about. Well, that, that looks pretty good. Okay, we'll try that. And that seems like a very powerful and inviting way to inspire our kids. Yeah, I like that, Dave. I, I like that because it challenges us to cultivate a desire for the right things. And, you know, going back to your broccoli illustration, uh, what we begin to realize is the things that the world has to offer, uh, that is the lesser uh, desirable thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that the, the actual good stuff, whatever metaphor you want to use, uh, the food of your choice, mm-hmm. that's the good stuff. That's the stuff that God wants for us. And so we're just maybe accustomed to believing there really isn't anything better than this. This is as good as it's going to get. If we're just sort of surviving and nobody's killing each other in our homes yet, then we're doing pretty good. Yeah. There's so, so, so much more. There's a cabillion more that God has for us. Well, now that we've completely solved that problem. Yeah. Check that box. So we'll, we'll come back around because I want to talk about abiding next okay. time, which is kind of a way to pursue this, how to um, get our souls in such a condition that being mindful of God, of listening to the Holy Spirit, of doing the things that Jesus did, yeah. thinking the way Jesus thought, believing the things that Jesus believed would change everything. Absolutely. I, I think a synonym for abiding is enjoying. It, like it's that. sort of like somebody has to show you how to enjoy God. I, I like that. Well, thank you for spending time with us again here on the Parenting Pathway podcast. Again, my guest today was the ruggedly handsome and melodious Nathan Kosurik. Hey. And I am your, your host, Pastor Dave Carl. 
And Christianity is primarily about relationship. So remember, don't do parenting and do not do life alone. We'll see you next time.